Welcome to Season 6 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. During Season 6, you'll hear the likes of Pat Fitzgerald, Ron Rivera, Lisa Byington, Porter Moser, and many, many more. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our partnership with Sports Media Watch. You can find them and this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of the world-famous Chicago hot dog and a landmark institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. This family-owned business can be found at DynamicManufacturingInc.com. This week, we feature one of the premier voices in sports broadcasting, Greg Gumbel. I think that, that, that because Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into him being a good broadcaster. I think he's personable enough. I think a lot will depend on his partner and how much leeway his partner gives him, because I think that's the key to any successful broadcast team is is, is, is being able to relate to each other. Greg Gumbel has been at it now for over 50 years, from his start on a Chicago television station to one of his prime roles as host of the immensely popular men's college basketball tournament, Gumbel has just about done it all. From local TV to ESPN, NBC, CBS, and so much more, he's been an enduring figure, offering consistency that has made him one of the very best at his craft. And in case you forgot, his brother's pretty talented, too. So, Greg Gumbel, tell me a story I don't know. Well, George, first of all, thank you. That, you know, that whole intro is kind of like a story I didn't know until you brought it to mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a story you don't know. Well, people don't even have to know me very well to know what a big Rolling Stones fan I am. I see say big I mean just a huge Rolling Stones fan I've, I've told friends if I had been ugly and skinny I would have been a Rolling Stone <laughs> the, the fact of the matter is you know, I was a Beatles fan like everybody else until they came out and then all of a sudden the Stones came out and, and I was hooked so I guess this was in the early to mid 90s I got a phone call at home from uh, the, the guy who was the editor and publisher of Rolling Stone magazine. And uh, he said, I, I said, and then I called him back and he said, uh, hi, how are you? And I said, I'm fine, thank you. What can I do for you? And he said, it's, it's something I think I can do for you. And I said, what's that? And he said, every time I read an interview that you've done, you always talk about what a big fan you are of, of Keith and the Rolling Stones. And I said, I, I am, admittedly, I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. I, they are the greatest rock and roll band in the world. And he said, yeah, I read that. And he said, I just thought it was time that you should meet. So he arranged for me to, um, to go up to Philadelphia, which is where they happened to be at that time. We're going through Philly and it was close to where I was uh, to go backstage and to meet the band. 
And so I, I met the band and then uh, Jane Rose, Keith's PR gal, took me uh, down to his dressing room to meet Keith. And I thought that I, I, I was working hard to think of how I was gonna hold up my end of what I thought would be a minute and a half conversation, maybe two minutes. I ended up walking around backstage with Keith for 35, 40 minutes. And he's showing me around and showing me these instruments for this song, these instruments for this song. We walk into a room and he points to a corner and there's a big leather chair. And in the leather chair, it's all legs and blonde hair. And Keith says, do you know Jerry Hall? I'm like, no. So, anyway, Mick's girlfriend is sitting back there. So the show begins at every Stones concert, they do half a show. And then um, Mick introduces the band. And Keith is the last one that he introduces because then it's Keith's turn to sing his two songs in the middle of the show that he sings lead on. And then Mick comes out and they finish the rest of the show. So Keith comes out and he sings his first song and everybody's applauding and he hands his guitar to the tech and the tech is gonna bring his second guitar to him and Keith looks down and he sees me in about the sixth row and he goes, Greg, and I went, whoa. And he says this into the mic, Greg, and there's 60,000 fans at RFK Stadium or wherever it was. And there is a girl standing next to me and she goes, I don't bleeping believe that. And I said, I don't bleeping believe that either. <laughs> and she pulls out a black magic marker and she says, can you sign my chest? And I went, no. <laughs> And she said, why not? And I said, because you are not gonna wake up in the morning next to your boyfriend or your husband and he's gonna see my name scribbled across your chest. It's just not gonna <laughs> so that's my story. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's really funny when you think about it. You've been doing sports for all these years. This sounds like the thrill of your life. Absolutely, absolutely. People say, you know, well, you know, what, what is what what is your biggest thrill? You know, you covered Muhammad Ali. Uh, you've done Super Bowls. You've done NBA playoffs, and you've done uh, NFL playoffs, and 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 you've done Major League Baseball playoffs. And what's the biggest thrill? And you've done Olympics. You know, what's the biggest thrill of your life? And I said, getting to meet and know the Rolling Stones, because without question, without question, that I am just uh, a you know I. Gosh, I, I got on a plane one day and I was wearing, I was wearing a Stones t-shirt under, uh, under a sports coat. And this guy sitting there, is just as I walked past him, I was in the row behind him, and he points to the shirt and he says, uh, that was a great tour. And I said, they're all great. And he said, no, they're not. And I went, go back and listen to him again. Easily, that, I, you know, and the funny thing is, I, I say, I say that's the greatest thing. That's the second greatest thing. My granddaughter is the greatest thing ever. In this mm -hmm. People can't see this. We're doing this on audio, but uh, I did see that Greg is wearing a Rolling Stones t-shirt as we do this interview. How many Stones concerts have you seen? And what is it about them that you love so much? Well, first of all, the, the, the concerts run around between 50 and 55. Um, and, and, and I just happen to like their brand of music, their style of rock and roll. Um, they, have, they have perfected the art of a stadium concert. Um, and they're just, and, and they're so, they just, they just keep on going. You know, they're, they're like the Ever Ready battery. Um, <laughs> and everybody says, oh, the Beatles were granted. The Beatles were around for nine years. And then they went their separate ways. And, uh, you know, before you tell me, you know, how, how great, John Lennon was, I got one word for you, Yoko. So, just, <laughs> so, so, 
So just hold on, okay? Um, and you know, look, in the individual musicians, they were fine together as a, as a group, they were fine, but I don't believe, this is not, I don't know if anybody can argue with me, and they have, and they've failed, um, <laughs> that anybody, anybody who thinks that there has been anybody greater than the Rolling Stones for all these years is just fooling themselves. I had a guy in the studio one day, he goes, you know, people say you're this big Rolling Stones fan. I said, I am. And he says, uh, well, you know, what's the big deal? They only had about five or six big hits. And I went, really? So I started naming them. And he goes, well, yeah, I've heard of that. You know, and what about this? Oh, yeah, well, well, now we're up to 20, you know, and now we're 25. Oh, yeah, I've heard that one too. I said, okay, well, then please don't bother me with some of the questions. You're obviously a huge advocate. You're just saying, uh, you know, how long they've been around. Uh, you've been around for a while as well. And when this airs, it'll be around the time the NFL kicks off another season. And you will once again be calling games for CBS. And so I'm going to throw three names at you and let you take it from there. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Justin Fields. And I want to start with Brady, who is eventually going to join your profession for a staggering amount of money. What are your thoughts on that? I've always felt good for you, for whatever you can get good for you. Um, the, the, the big question about Tom is, you know, look, does he need it? No. Does he want to continue to be, uh, to be uh, involved in the game? Of course he does. They handle the rush this time. Brady going for Randy Moss in the end zone. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Will he be good at it? That remains to be seen. Because the one thing that, that, that a bunch of us take a lot of pride in is a lot of us make it look easier than it is. And to, look, to make it look easier than it is is, is, is the name of the game. Um, it, should be, it should be something that's really easy to go through and to be able to be listenable as well as to be somewhat knowledgeable and to translate for other people what they are seeing. One of the, one of the real gifts that John Madden had was to be able to simplify a complicated game. And that's what he did. He broke it down into layman's terms so that it wasn't, and, and there have been people who have gotten into that broadcast booth and boy, they make big mistakes. All oh, the Y curve and the X route and, blah, 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 and you know, they're talking, they're talking technical stuff that cannot influence the home viewer at all. That home viewer may think he's being let in on some stuff, but you ask him to repeat what he just said and he would never be able to do it. So, so, so I think that, that, that because Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into him being a good broadcaster. I think he's personable enough. I think a lot will depend on his partner and how much leeway his partner gives him, because I think that's the key to any successful broadcast team is, 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 is being able to relate to each other. Um, when Terry Bradshaw and I did um, the NFL Today at CBS in the early 90s, we got all kinds of kudos for our chemistry. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year to you. I'm Greg Gumbel. Happy New Year, everybody, and I am Terry Paxton Bradshaw. Happy New Year, Greg. Happy New Year, Greg. Don't hit me, okay? I'm not <laughs> Welcome to Week 18, the final weekend of the regular season on the NFL Today. On this, the final day of 1993. And they say, oh, how do you build this chemistry? You, go, you don't, I don't believe, you don't build chemistry. You either have it or you don't. Right. And, Terry, and Terry and I became really, really good friends. 
I remember we, a guy was a guy was interviewing us, and we're sitting there next to each other, and the guy says, "You guys look like you're good friends." And Terry says, "We are." He says, "I love Greg. I can honestly tell you that Greg is one of my five best friends." And the guy looked at me and I said, and I can honestly tell you that Terry is one of my 10 best. And the guy went, what? <laughs> but, but, but I think that, but I think that that's, but that's the key and it will be the key for Tom Brady, just like it's the key for any other broadcaster. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media, at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We resume with Greg Gumbel on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Let's turn to Aaron Rodgers, who I have a feeling eventually is going to do the same thing as Tom Brady is doing. One could write a book about just the last 12 months. I don't know if Aaron is going to do that. Number one, I don't know if he wants to do that. Uh, And number two, you'll notice the people who are really good at it have always been very gregarious and outgoing as players. And, and, and that's a switch that I'm not sure you can turn on and off. Uh, Aaron has been a pretty guarded guy, pretty secure, pretty guarded guy. Aaron has always been a more subdued and, and reclusive guy. I've always had a great time talking to him, but I don't think he is overt. So for him, I, for him to jump into the booth, he can be analytical enough. Can he be personable enough to do the job? And, and that is sometimes more than half the battle because they already know the job. They already know, you know, there, there are people who, look, I can say, I can say why this guy beat the coverage on this side because the guy was double teamed over here and it left that guy one-on-one, but it means more coming from someone who played the game. Does he need more validation? Does he need to win another Super Bowl? I don't think so. The final snap of Super Bowl 45, the Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. The Lombardi Trophy is coming home. I think he has proven time and again, and you know, not all the great ones, George, not all the great ones win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, Dan Marino, one of the greatest pure passers of all time, with an unbelievable right arm. Um, John Elway came close to not winning. I ended up winning two, but that's because you know someone had the intelligence to put a decent running back in the backfield with, and he wouldn't have to rely on throwing the football all the time. There are plenty of good football players who never reach the Super Bowl. On the other hand, there are a lot of rotten football players who just happen to be on Super Bowl winning teams. And they run around showing off the Super Bowl ring like, you know, they won it all by themselves. But, but that's another story. Uh, but the fact is, the fact is that, no, I don't believe that Aaron needs to validate anything. I think he is a surefire Hall of Famer and he will be there one day. Of course, here in Chicago, there's Justin Fields for the Bears. I know you haven't seen him all that often, but what is your opinion of him? And do you think he will wind up being, quote, a franchise quarterback? I am not going to lie and say I know all about him because I don't. I have not done a game in which he, uh, he played. So all you can do is go off of what you see and what you hear. And because, because Chicago has been um, such an up and down franchise as far as direction goes, personnel, management, uh, I don't think it's been fair to Justin Fields. And so I would withhold any judgment of him until after the situation stabilizes and he is under some, some decent tutelage and until and unless he gets some really good talent surrounding him. Because as I said a moment ago, nobody does it by themselves. A lot of them will lead you to believe that they do it by themselves. But the fact is, that, that you know, it's, it's a team game, as, as they say on Chicago PD, uh, it's a team effort. And you never, ever, ever think that some guy is going to win it all by himself. Now, some guy can be added to the roster who can be a huge help. And that certainly is the case in a lot of cases. But, um, but, but I think it's far too early to, to make a judgment call on Justin Fields, one way or the other, you know, to be fair. You hosted the NFL today after the firing of Brent Musburger back in 1990. It included the pre-game, halftime, and post-game shows, all of which were intricately weaved into TV markets all over the country. I remember you know, people said, well, you must have an easy job doing, sitting in that studio and doing the pre-game show. And I went, oh, why do you say that? And they said, well, look, I see you on before the game begins, and then I see you at halftime, and then I see you after the game. And I said, and you think that's it? Huh? And he said, well, what else is there? I said, well, how about this? How about this? How about we do the pregame show and then the one o'clock kickoffs come along? And then I'm sitting there, and everybody else takes a break. I'm sitting there and there's a touchdown scored in Green Bay. So now there's a highlight. We have to do an update. So I do the update to Chicago. And after that, I do the update to Detroit. And then I do the update to Dallas. And then I do the update to uh, Kansas City. And then another highlight has happened since then. So you have to take that one and run that around to the various, and you do that all throughout the first half. Then you have to rehearse halftime. Then you do halftime for Green Bay. And then you do a halftime for Chicago. And then you do a halftime for Dallas. And you do a halftime for Detroit. Welcome, those of you who have been watching Detroit and Washington. At halftime, the Redskins leading it by a score of 10 to 3. When's the last time you heard Mark Rippon booed at RFK? It's been a long time, but I, I, the thing I'm impressed with, once again, is the, is the defense that Richie Pettibone has put up against Barry Sanders. Only nine rushes for only 23 yards. Then the second half comes along, and there's more updates. Then you begin rehearsing post-game. Ernest Biner on the flip side, 100 plus yards for the Redskins as they beat the Detroit Lions 13 to 10 and go to two and one on the year. The Lions fall to one and two. 
in Dallas. Final moments of that game in Dallas. Three minutes, 43 seconds to play. The Cowboys leading the Phoenix Cardinals by a score of 31 to 10. And the whole cycle begins again. So it is, again, it's one of those situations that looks a lot easier than it is. And I'll be honest with you, I got tired of hosting the, 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 the NFL today because if you are a football fan, you don't get to watch much football. You're busy rehearsing and you're busy doing updates and you're busy with a bunch of other stuff. And then, you know, they knew what happened before I did. All of a sudden I've got an update to do. Oh, Detroit just scored another touchdown. You know, those, those, things, those things happen. And again, it's, it's not all peaches and cream by a long shot. However, it is something that we're involved with and that we love, we love doing. And, uh, and as I said, fortunate to do it. It's funny, I just think about your description of this now and uh, Andrew Siciliano, who was a guest on this podcast last year. I mean, he does that show now. It's seven hours of whirlwind activity. It's nuts. It is, it is. And you know, it, it's, it's difficult enough to keep your senses about you. We used to do updates from the studio during March Madness. Uh, if something happened, let's take you to this and get you updated. The, the University of Virginia is on a 10-point tear, and they were behind by three, and now they lead by seven, uh, 122 to play in the first half. Let's get you back to Indianapolis. And the producer steps in, he punches the button, he speaks into my ear and says, Greg, we don't have any games in Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that stuff happens. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, it, it, it happens. And then, then look, it, especially as I mentioned on those first two nights when there are 16, 16 games, um, you know, it, it's easy to lose your way. And I've lost my way on a number of occasions. I'd like to say it was only yesterday you started working at NBC5 here in Chicago, but it was yesterday was almost 50 years ago, Greg. Time does, in fact, fly. I started March of 1973. And uh, I went on the air like a month later because I was walked through the paces. Uh, Johnny Morris was my first boss. Uh, Dennis Swanson is the yeah. person whom I replaced there. Uh, I was a week or weekday sports reporter on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then I was on the air Saturday and Sunday. And then I later became sports director. And then after seven and a half years, I left to go to ESPN. But yeah, both my brother and I don't ever hesitate to say how very fortunate we were to begin where we began. I got to start my broadcast career in Chicago. You like the Kings as much as you like the Rams? Uh, no, I'm not a big King fan. You're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't do too well. Blackhawks hosting the LA Kings at the stadium tonight where Tony Esposito rang up a three to nothing shutout for Chicago. The Blackhawks got first period goals from Ted Bully, Ivan Boldarev, and this one on a fine second effort by number 24, Doug Wilson, and Tony Esposito made him stand up. It was Espo's first shutout of the year. Watch him stop Marcel Dion in close. The Hawks a winner tonight, three to nothing. Bryant started his in Los Angeles at places and markets that other local sportscasters around the country only dream of reaching. And, and, and for whatever reason, and not for whatever reason, I know what the reasons are, but, but I, I got a little bit tired of that. Um, local news can be and often is frustrating for, uh, for, for someone like me who's, who's doing sports. You know, you have this half hour show, uh, 10 to 10.30 at night, and you have three minutes, unless, there was a currency exchange holdup. 
then there's an extra news story and you're down to two and a half minutes. Yeah. Um, or if you're uh, if, if you are doing local sports and the Cubs and the White Sox have been eliminated from the pennant race and then the assignment desk or the news director decides you don't need Cubs or White Sox highlights anymore. So they take the camera crew away. Well, you know, people like that don't understand the sports fan. They don't understand that it doesn't matter if your team has been eliminated. You still want to know what they did and how they did it. Um, so you are working under the quote unquote guidance of people who are in charge and don't know anything about sports. So that, that really is what became a real frustration for me at the local news level. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You know, I love that you and your brother, Brian, growing up in the Hyde Park neighborhood, and by the way, my wife grew up in South Shore, really? would grab your gloves, stand in front of a mirror, pretend you were announcers describing a game. It sounds like a lot of us in this business. Winding up and pitching and even describing the pitch is <laughs> ridiculous. And that's not the worst of it. The worst of it, my dear mom used to talk about how, you know, we had one of those hockey games where you slide the players back and forth. Mm -hmm. And well, and you, know, you spin it in order to, to take a slap shot. We had all six uniforms of the original six in the NHL. Of course. And, and we would game, divide the game up into three periods, but we would have one set of players from the Blackhawks on the ice against one set of players for the Montreal Canadiens. And we would keep goal scorers and assists. Second period, you change the identities of those guys to their second lines, and then the third period to their third lines. And we would cut, but that wasn't the worst part. For my mom, she would sit there and watch and shake her hands, head because my brother and I are both doing play by play at the same time. <laughs> the same time. And nobody, nobody was an analyst here. You were both doing play by play. Yeah, and you know, and, and it wasn't it wasn't a far stretch for me to think, you know, she can't wait till my dad comes home and says, wait till you see what these idiots did today. <laughs> I think it's very interesting to note that you and Bryant never took a course in broadcasting. And look at what happened. You know, I am not a believer that it's a necessity. I mean, obviously, it's not a necessity. 
I am a believer that it can help, um, that in a broadcasting course, you probably learn a lot of technicalities that, that, that I learned on the job, that I had to go out and, and, and find for myself. But my dad always, my, well, my, my, my brother and I have, have never shied away from saying that, that my dad was easily the biggest influence in our lives. And he had, he had three things outlined and he repeated them constantly. Think clearly, listen carefully, speak distinctively. And, and, and those tenets guide you well in the world of broadcasting, at least mm -hmm. in, my, in my view. And, and, and I think that if you are able to think for yourself, to be able to, uh, to, to say what you think in a, in, in, a, in a convincing manner without talking down to your audience. There are a lot of people in my business, George, who talk down to their audience. It's kind of like the approach of, I know everything, sit back and let me tell you what this is all about. Now, obviously there's an audience for those people and that audience doesn't have the ability to think for itself. I am not a big fan of sports talk radio because people who listen to sports talk radio strike me as being anxious to be told what to think. And I don't need someone yelling at me. I certainly don't need them yelling at me, but I don't need anyone trying to tell me what I should think about this picture for the California Angels, whom I can watch and for myself and make my own judgments. Um, but there apparently is a huge audience for sports talk radio. Now, if you're just tuning in, if you're just tuning in to hear people argue and scream and shout, that's fine. Good luck to you. Good luck in your early grave. Because I think <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing on the planet. I have not heard more than, in my lifetime, more than an hour's worth of sports talk radio. And most of it that I heard is basically the lead in or the lead out from an interview that I might have done on occasion. Yet, I, yet you, I, began, you began your career, or well, you didn't begin your career that way, but when you were in New York, you actually worked for WFAN. You did Morning Drive. I did. That's when I learned to hate it. <laughs> I, I, was, I was WFAN's first ever morning man when they first began the station. They asked me if I, uh, if I wanted to do the morning radio. And I said, sure, because number one, I had mornings off. Um, afternoons and, and, and some evenings, I, would, I was at Madison Square Garden Network and I would be doing uh, uh, studio shows for MSG. In the evenings, I could be doing uh, mixed basketball. I could be doing Yankee baseball. So I did those things. But it was, it was something new and different. And I thought I would try it. And about three or four months into a three-year contract, I knew it wasn't for me because I'm not a guy who wants to sit there and argue. And yet that's what the listening audience was. You know, hey, Greg, how about the Yankees trade Don Mattingly to the Mets for Daryl Strawberry? What are you supposed to do with that? And then number one, I'm not the decision maker. Number two, nothing that you or I say is going to influence that. And to me, that's useless. And people would call and they'd argue. And my, my, what I tried to do was get people who know the sport and, and would, would, would sit and talk with me 
and, and talk about what that team was doing. I had a guy who was a Yankee announcer. I had a guy who was a, a Mets announcer. I had a guy who was a, uh, a Rangers, an Islanders, a New Jersey Devils guy, and a Knicks and a Nets basketball analyst. Those kinds of things, we would discuss recent games, and it was usually the morning after a game, and that's the kind of thing that I would conduct. But in general, I didn't like it. I did not enjoy it, and I knew uh, there, there have been a couple of situations I've been in my career. I started something, and I realized after I got into it that I wasn't going to continue it or I wasn't going to go back to it. Take me back to Chicago. What was it like growing up here? Um, loved it. Uh, uh, Hyde Park, a, uh, a, a certainly a very liberal, uh, racially diverse neighborhood. Um, our first foray when we first moved to, to Chicago from, from Washington, D.C., uh, my dad graduated from law school at Georgetown, and then we moved to Chicago where he began to practice. We lived right across the street from George Williams College, which was at 53rd and Drexel Avenue. And then they had a big field out there. Brian and I would go out there and play baseball and football from morning till night when we weren't in school. Um, and, and then... Uh, then when, uh, when I, oh, here's a, here's a great story for you, George. This was back in the days, you know, I was a Chicago Cardinals football fan and Bryant was the Bears fan. Why was I a Cardinals fan? Because I was a White Sox fan and the Cardinals played in Comiskey Park. And Bryant was a Cubs fan because I was a White Sox fan and because the Cubs played in Wrigley Field, <laughs> which is where the Chicago Bears played. So we were out in front of our apartment building throwing the football around one day. And this was on uh, Drexel Avenue. And these two guys come walking by and they said, hi, can we throw the ball around with you? And I said, sure. So we're throwing the ball back and forth and my parents had gone off to do some grocery shopping. And about 20 minutes later, they came back and they get out of the car and my dad walks over and he starts talking to them. And they converse for a couple of minutes and then uh, they said, hey guys, thanks for letting us throw the ball around, we'll see you later. And they left. And my dad comes over and he says, Ollie Matson and Night Train Lane. And we didn't know at the time, but basically two future NFL Hall of Famers, you know, played for the Chicago Cardinals. And uh, it was, it was, you know, those kinds of things, those kinds of things happened. I had an uncle who was a good friend of Buddy Young, who used to play for the Baltimore Colts. And at Christmas time one day, one year, my uncle brought us, do you remember the white footballs that they used to throw around for night games? They had white footballs with black stripes around the ends. Um, Buddy Young brought two of them, signed by the entire Colts team, gave to my uncle, who gave to us. And we took them out in the street and ruined them like idiots. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the nature, of being, the nature of being a kid and being, oh, we've got a new football we can use. Um, but, but yeah, our neighbor, uh, the neighborhood was a really, really, really good neighborhood to grow up in. I remember your days at Channel 5 uh, when seeing an African-American sportscaster on TV was kind of a rarity. Matter of fact, 1973, seeing a woman sportscaster was even rarer. I think that's why, and I've, I've said this before, I believe that's why I was hired at Channel 5, and that's why I was hired at ESPN, um, because there weren't very many, if any, Black faces on the air. No. That's not why you stay. I believe you stay. You know, if look, if if they need someone purple, and you're purple, and they hire you, and if you can't do the job, they'll go out and find somebody else who's purple. Yeah. Um, but 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 I believe that you stick around because you show them that you can do the job. Uh, the same at, at ESPN. 
Now, Sports Center with Greg Gumbel and George Grant. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the ESPN Sports Center. Uh, as you saw there, Chris Berman will be joining us in just a few minutes. He is fresh off the Silver Bird from Miami, where he covered the Dolphins and the Steelers. I don't believe that's why I was hired at the Garden in New York. I don't believe that's why I was hired at CBS. But, uh, but yeah, I think that was a big reason why. Not the only reason, but the big reason why. And I think, you know, I was, I've talked with people, you know, after I was hired there who felt that, um, that they wouldn't come right out, right out and admit that, but, uh, but they, they did feel that, that I had potential, even lacking, even lacking uh, any prior experience whatsoever. It's kind of being in the right place at the right time. Sure, sure, without question. And, you know, Brian and I have never denied that. Um, we, we, we consider ourselves extremely fortunate. Look, I know that, that there were people, I was here I was with no broadcast experience whatsoever, never wore a microphone. Uh, and there are people in Kalamazoo, Michigan, or Keokuk, Iowa, or Battle Creek, Michigan, who have worked long periods of time doing local sports at those stations, who never, never would ever have ever gotten a shot at, at, at working in a market the size of Chicago. You know, there was a thing when you were, when you were hoping to move up, you made a video cassette of yourself, of your best work, you know, best of, and sent it in. And I, I hated to tell people sometimes because they'd ask, I've sat in news director's offices and those cassettes are piled high against the wall behind him. Never looked at it. Yeah. And people would go, well, well, what would you recommend? So you go out and knock on the door and say hello in person because a video cassette can never convey your personality. It can never convey your intelligence or your ability to talk about sports in a reasonable and listenable manner. Um, it's easy to say no to a letter. It's easy to say no on the telephone. If you show up and try to talk to people, your, your, your chances increase by bunches. My thanks to the Rolling Stones and their great early hit, Painted Black, CBS Sports, Fox Sports, ESPN, and NBC Chicago for those wonderful highlights. Part two of this riveting interview with Greg Gumbel will be heard when the NCAA tournament commences in March. And my thanks, as always, to the people behind the scenes that helped make this wonderful podcast possible. T.J. Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.